0: This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host Nabil Mahmoud from Kailua, Kona, Hawaii.
1: This is your co-host Philip Koblenz. Joining you today, from the crossroads of the internet at 60 Hudson Street in New York City.
2: And I'm Isabel Paradis, president of Hot Tonecom. I'm present day in the UK, north of London. But well, originally, I'm from a small town in Quebec, five hours north of Montreal, called Chicoutimi.
0: Chicoutimi, all right. Chicoutimi so, sounds you... good to me.
2: But it's a word, actually. That means the end of the deep water. This is a big fjord coming in, and it's amazing. It's really pretty. But it's really cold in the winter. So think twice if you want to go there in the winter.
0: Wonderful. So do you live in the UK now permanently or are you still a Canadian?
2: Yes, I'm still a Canadian, but I live in the UK permanently.
0: Isabel, thank you again for taking the time to join us today. We've been wanting to get you on board for a while. Last we saw you was at PTC in Hawaii. So could you share with our audience at a very high level what do you do?
2: That's a very good question. Actually, I should say, what don't I do? (laughs) Because I feel like I'm doing a lot of things. But basically, I run this company called Hot Telecom. It's been in business for 20 years. And we do telecom strategic consulting, market research, but more and more marketing and content, fun, memorable content and events for the telecom operators in the international space. So we're really focused, we're niche in the wholesale and international space. So I work with all the big carriers, wholesalers, and other operators on the international side of the business.
0: So you get to basically tell the data center and the IT space of the industry.
2: Well, I, I, we cover the whole spectrum, actually. Data centers, subsea, infrastructure, voice, messaging. The whole spectrum of services that have to do with enabling the international telecom world.
0: Folks, this is really exciting. We've got one of the industry leaders on the podcast. Isabel, how did you get started? Looking at your background on LinkedIn here, so you are an industrial engineer and then you got a degree in finance. Was anybody in your family involved in technology? How did you get exposed to technology?
2: When I was very young, I wouldn't have thought I would have become an engineer because I was obsessed with ballet. And then I became a professional, well, not professional at that time, but high-caliber figure skater from the age of five to 18. So during those years, I was skating five hours a day, six days a week for most of the year and going to school. But when I turned around 18, I had to decide, was I going to keep skating or do something else with my life? And I think the skating part of my life was finished by then. I thought, will I ever be the Olympic champion? The answer was no. So I thought, well, I think it's time to party (laughs) and go to school full time. So I stopped skating and I focused on my studying and I became an engineer. However, as you say, was there anyone in my family that was tech orientated? My father was a doctor. My mother was a nurse and they really wanted us to go into that profession. But I mean, anything but a doctor or a nurse. So, and my two brothers were studying engineering and I was in college and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was going to become. And when my older brother said, why don't you become an engineer? Because with that, you can do anything you want after. It opens the, any door that you want to open. If you want to be a lawyer after, you can be a lawyer. If you want to go into anything after, you'll have the best base possible in life. And my brother was not all often tr- correct, but in this case, he was definitely <laughs> correct. It's the best thing he ever told me. And I thought, oh, yeah, makes sense. And I went in engineering. I just loved it. And it's the best thing I ever did.
1: I think it's so interesting to find someone that went from figure skating, like really, artistic kind of background and dance to engineering. And it doesn't seem like it's one of those fields that you can go to if you don't have like an engineering mind. I I think most people don't just like pick up engineering, like, okay, I'm going to pick either liberal arts or fine arts or engineer. I guess I'll just do an engineer. You need to have some type of engineering type mind or mathematical mind or something. How did that transition go? How did you just pick up engineering?
2: Well, because I really loved school. Some people are left brain right brain, I'm probably both brain, because I'm really creative and quirky, but I really like analyzing, solving problems. I have a very analytic, structured mind, so that's a bit of a conundrum in my mind, (laughs) but that's probably why I'm so crazy. (laughs) So I have the creative side, but I really like school and I really like solving problems. So I was right in my element in engineering school. I'm a girly girl, I think. So it proves that you can be a, a woman. And I see that to many women. That I talk to the young women. They think, oh, how should I ask them? I'm not comfortable on stage. Should I wear a dress? Or, I said, listen, be yourself. If you're a woman, you're a woman. You Be yourself. That's the best self you can be. If you pretend you're someone else, it's not going to happen. You're going to fail. So it proves that you can be both very creative and womanly and engineering. My brain is very analytic and I love it. So I was very, very happy at engineering school, I must say.
0: And how did you end up picking up industrial engineering over anything else? What you picked up versus what you're doing today, it's like totally on the opposite spec. so how did you end up picking up industrial engineering?
2: Because the industrial engineering was more probably the engineering that was also very close to administration. So managing, it was industrial engineering in some ways, the management of engineering. And I also like this management part of the business. So it was a best of both worlds. I learned the technology, I learned how everything worked. And also I learned how to manage it. And it's how, kind of what brought me to my MBA after. So it's kind of an evolution. I covered the technology part and the management part. And after my engineering school, I thought, am I ready to go to work? I was quite young. I thought maybe not. And I always dreamt to do an MBA. Don't ask me why. <laughs> since very, very young, I was in, in high school, I thought one day I'll do an MBA. Uh, and I had the choice to go to work after my engineering school or do an MBA. And normally it's supposed to go and work and I'm experienced. But they gave special passes to two people from my school to do the MBA right away without working. And then I did the MBA right away because I thought if I don't do that now, I'll never go back. Once I start working, i am never come back. So, I did my MBA in finance because I thought I'm a bit weak on the financial side of my brain. I need to improve my knowledge around finance. So, I did an MBA in finance and then I started working after that. And What's I don't want to go in- back to university, by the way. I'm done. <laughs> <I've> oh, done- <laughs> <Well>, you're done. <laughs> you're you're done
1: partying. <laughs> so, you were right. You were right that you would never have gone back.
2: The correct.
0: <laughs> All right. So, that's for for a young individual that's still quite a lot to absorb, to figure out the industry engineering is my education or profession of choice and then of course yeah now i'm weak in finance how did you get exposed to those elements of your life whereby those were the educational requirements that you wanted to pursue or goals for that matter
2: yes i do believe in following your guts and i just felt it was the right thing to do and i guess in my engineering school the first year everyone was doing the same courses for one year you do physics and mechanical engineering and all of that and then after that you had to choose your specialty one of my brothers he has a master's in engineering and physics the other had the master's in mechanical engineering and i thought no i think i like that but also like the management part and the process part so it's all about optimization of the engineering processes and i thought that fitted me better so, maybe I'm an engineer, but maybe I'm probably an 80% engineer. I know, maybe I know I'm not parents, a full-blown one.
1: I know I knew your parents wanted a doctor or nurse in the family. It sounds like they did just fine. I Amen. would have been the
2: worst doctor or nurse. If the worst, I would have been so bad at that. I think uh, when you're a doctor or a nurse, it's a calling. It's almost like when God calls you, if you have to do that, that's what you need to do. If you don't do that, you'll be real unhappy. And I didn't have that calling <laughs> at all. Well, I
1: think what's, what's interesting is you hear doctors and nurses sometimes talk about the human body and the way engineers, you know, talk about things where it's all just circuitry. and stuff. I could never get past like the blood and the guts and stuff, but doctors are able to like separate themselves yes. to a certain extent from some of the gooey pieces of being a doctor. And they look at it as this bone is connected to that bone and this circuitry manages that circuitry and all that. So I don't actually think it's hugely divergent. From engineer, you just have to be able to actually not be completely freaked out Correct. by all the gory elements of it, which freaks or me or out. Or
2: the emotional. I think right. I wouldn't have been able to cope with the emotional. I, right. The more you get used to, I think, like most things. Right. But it's more the emotional side, I don't know. I didn't have that in me.
1: No, no question. So you graduate with what is arguably a, a spectacular couple of degrees, right? Engineering and then an MBA in business. And then what? What do you do next?
2: Well, when I finished, it was right in the middle of the recession. It was in 1993, so it was quite difficult to find a job. So I looked for a few months, and I was really struggling. But one of my friends that started at Teleglobe, which is now Tata, and she really liked it. And after Christmas, there was a job in the newspaper. In those days, you looked for jobs in the newspaper. In those (laughs) days, you still had
1: access to a newspaper. (laughs) So
2: I looked, and I saw a job opening at Teleglobe, and I thought, I'll put my CV in. And I did, and I had an interview and they accepted me. And it was one of the best days of my life. I was so happy because I thought now I'm really starting the next phase of my life and it's going to be amazing. And actually it was. Teleglobe was one of the best time in my whole career. It was an amazing place. And and that
1: was in Quebec?
2: Yes, in Montreal. So Teleglobe at that time was a monopoly, was just becoming a non-monopoly. And it had a really young new CEO, Charles Sirois, and he was a real visionary. And he knew that to transform the company from a monopoly to something more competitive, he had to do something drastic. So he hired maybe 30 to 40 young people from different backgrounds, from economics, from political background, engineers, marketers, whole spectrum. And he brought them in as triggers for change and it really worked. So I was part of that cohort, which is why I'm such a believer in uh, young people coming to the industry and making a change. So he brought us in and put us in marketing and product management and engineering and all of that. And we transformed, not just us, but we were able to help transform the company. And within a number of maybe three years, four years, the whole company became a monopoly to one of the leading wholesalers in the industry. So that's why I'm such a believer in bringing young people to trigger change and innovation.
0: Well, we'll talk about young people in just a bit. As a matter of fact, I mean, this whole platform is designed for them. So engineer to sales and a lot of other things. How did you end up picking up marketing? I mean, again, that's like a diversion from where you were in your educational path. So how it's did like that creative feel creative
2: brain that was still right. there.
0: <laughs> right. So it's
2: like a constant fight. The, ball- the ballerina <laughs> came back. <laughs> so I started as a product manager or junior product manager. I think it was product specialist it was called. And it was something called like VPN. And I was even a product manager for Telegraph and Telex Telegraph. At that time, it still existed. And I was one of the product manager there. But I started in product management. And when you manage products, you have to do the whole spectrum. So you have to deal with sales. You have to deal with marketing with technology, with the engineers, the whole nine yards. And I really liked that job, but I felt, I kept liking the marketing part and the promotion and how do you sell this product and how do you brand it? And so that's always been in my mind, but I was doing a more technology oriented job then, but it's always something that I like to do. So then I became a, from a product manager, I became a a regional director. At those times you had accounting rates in the voice business where you negotiated with all the operators in the world. So. I became a a regional director, and I negotiated these rates in the Caribbean, then I was in Africa, then Europe, so I did multiple regions. So I learned so much from that. So in my life, it's always both the engineering technology part and the creative part. And at the moment, I think the older I get, the creative part's winning, actually, I think.
1: Well, I think that's what's so amazing is I think you are probably someone that has been acutely impacted by this, but I think in general, people that follow an engineering trajectory are made to believe that they have to be compartmentalized, that they have to suppress any of the desire. They have to be analytical. They have to be in the box. But it is a superpower to be able to have access to both parts of that energy. And people think that when they're going into an engineering field, that's it. You're not a creative person anymore. Creativity is not an element, but you could bring creativity into any field that you work in and it serves you so well.
2: Yes, and any girl out there wants to go to engineering school, please go. Because you will learn the best tools to survive and to succeed in life. First of all, you'll learn to, how to solve problems. So you develop a very a good analytic brain. You learn to work in teams and solve problems with other people and, and get projects done together and you'll work super hard. I think that's where I worked the hardest in my entire life. So after that, you're prepared for anything. You're prepared to solve problems, you're prepared to work with other people, and you're prepared to work hard. And these are all the bases that we need in today's society solve problems, be creative, and be a team player and be able to put the hours in. So, and, and it's a lot of fun. I had so much fun, it was amazing. You learn to drink as well, it keeps the liver in line, you got, <laughs> correct? Got which so. is very useful in our industry, <laughs> but I
1: guess that's something that's interesting. You went into a field that even today, I think there's a huge gap between male and female. And it sounds like you had a fairly progressive CEO at the time that was running the business that was into it. But did you ever see any issues with being a female coming into that as a product manager is trying to market or even sell some of those services being taken seriously? Was that ever something that, that got in your way or that you saw?
2: Well, I would say 99% of the time, no. And also it's always a question of perspective because I've been raised with two brothers. I went to engineering school, so I was used to being around guys and I was happy being around guys. guy was comfortable. And I never really thought. Maybe I had situations where because I was a woman, I didn't do get something. But maybe I didn't analyze it in that way. Maybe I thought I didn't get it because I wasn't good enough. I didn't automatically think it's because I'm a woman. And I often tell women, don't spend any time on this. If someone puts barriers in your way, find a way around it. Don't think, oh, why me? Why is that? Because I'm a woman. I'm persecuted. No. The thing is, there's a barrier. How am I going to spend your time thinking, how am I going to get done? So I think that's, that's my perspective. First of all, I don't mind being around men, working with men, because I've always been around men, but also I don't spend any time. So often I'm in the conference and I remember once I was in a room and maybe with 250 people and a conference and stuff, but the person with me turned around and said, do you realize you're the only woman in the room? And I looked at it. I didn't even realize. And I thought, I don't care. Actually, it's good. And I interviewed once, I did some interviews for a while at at C-level women to profile their view of the business. And it was at the time the CEO of Telia, she was a woman. And I used to ask them about business. And at the end, I was always asking them one question about being a woman in business. So I asked her, what do you think? What's the trick? And she said, actually, being a woman in telecom is a plus. Because if you go on stage, you're the only woman on stage. You're in the room. You're the only woman in the room. you already differentiate. You're already different. And people will remember you from the start. Now, of course, you have to speak very intelligently and then prove that you have the content behind them. But use that to your benefit. Use that as an advantage. And after that, actually, it's a benefit. It's not a, a minus. Of- I think it
1: takes so much confidence. The way you speak is so confident, right? I think confidence is a huge... Boon really to anyone doing anything, to which life is a confidence game. And do you think any of that confidence, do you think it came from the competitive elements of figure skating? You go back and you look at some of the things that you had to go through being competitive figure skater. you gloss over it because I, I was a figure skater and then I became a this, but the amount of effort you need to put, the amount of trust in yourself, the amount of trust in the process and the amount of discipline, how much of those elements Maybe not specifically that you can point to, but now looking back, how much of that do you think impacted who you are and how you approached any of the things that you've done in your career?
2: I think a huge, huge part because, I mean, I wasn't always that confident. If you look at my 18-year-old self, I wasn't like me, of course, which is a shame. I would like often when I talk to young women, I'm trying to help them be more confident because I think that's the start of everything. But I think my skating, it was so hard because skating five hours a day, you fall on your backside millions of times, but you have to get up. There's no way we can't quit. So when you practice, you practice jumps you've never done before. You will just fall, 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 fall. And you just learn to get up and get up. And I think that's part of life. Learn to get up and learn to push and continue. Just continue. You can't stop trying. In skating, that's how it is. The only way you get to be a champion is by never quitting. And it gives you that gut and what it takes to keep going and to keep pushing it. Also to keep trying to improve yourself and also trying to do things you're not comfortable with. That's another trick that I try to tell young women. It's really stressful. Like the first time I presented on stage, I thought I was going to faint. But then you do it again and it's easier and you feel less like you're going to faint. And the third time, actually, it's not that bad. And the more you do it, actually, now I go on stage. Of course, you always have the good nerves. You have to have good nerves. But once you go on stage, you actually, you're yourself. As long as you talk about something, what's the worst that's going to happen? And my partner who's also in, what used to be in telecom. is retired now. So he's a very good speaker. I said, I don't know. I won't be able to do this. And then he said, listen, sometimes you need to take a step back. What's the worst that can happen? Let's say you go on stage and you forget something to say. First of all, no one knows what you're going to say. So no one knows. And if you make a mistake, who cares? The people in the room, they don't care if you make a mistake. They want you to succeed. They want you to do a good presentation. So you make a joke out of it and you go on. And when I realized that, it changed my old perspective. I go on stage, I'm myself, number one, that's very important. And you have a good energy. Energy is another very important part of life, positive energy. And you talk about something that you are passionate about, and then nothing can go wrong with that. So once you realize that it really helps, of course, and make it sound simpler than it is, but it's a start. Once you realize that, then it makes it much easier. So when I talk to young women, I bring on stage with me. I do try young women and young people before some of them are really stressed. And I, that's all the things I tell them, listen, I was stressed like you. This is what helped me and what does a word that can happen. And they're like, okay, that's true. And then at the end of the experience, nine times out of 10, I think They say, I loved it. It was so much fun. When can we do it again? And now I know I've succeeded.
1: Picture you bringing like a baby carriage on and
0: holding them up and being like, look,
2: (laughs) I can do this. this."
0: The whole thing is about mind over matter, mind over body. I mean, if you keep telling yourself that you're not good enough, if you keep telling yourself that you're not going to be able to get out of a situation, whether it be mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever the case might be, and or professionally, you'll never be able to succeed. So believe in yourself. You make a great point. Let your weakness be your strength and be different, be unique. That's what people remember. Um, and I, there's a but, saying
2: I often talk about. I say, don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid of being the same as everyone else. Exactly. So I say that to my customers as well and to people. Why would we want to be all the same? That would be so sad.
0: Exactly. So when you started a career versus where you're at today, do you think that the industry has changed whereby we are more accommodating to minorities and women? Are we on the right path?
2: I think so. And young women as well. And young people in general. I think about young women because with the work I do with young people at the moment, I realize that probably at least half of these young people that work with me on different projects are women. And that wouldn't have been the case because there wouldn't have been enough of them. But there's obviously more of them that are joining our industry and there's still a lot to do. But I think that there's more of them joining and the more of them join, the more, again, that will have a an impact going forward and the momentum will pick momentum, up. Momentum, yeah. Yeah, the momentum is already there, but it's going to accelerate. And I think it's definitely on the way. I mean, in Canada, it wasn't so bad. So I come from Canada, I was quite privileged, but I think Now in other regions where maybe it wasn't so equal before, it's starting to change more and more. So yes, I think it's getting better.
1: Well, I think that's the thing, right? The more women, the more minorities, the more people across different demographics join our industry and then evolve in our industry and become leaders in our industry. It's their life experience that's going to inform the types of people that they hire, the types of people that they bring into our sphere. So we need to essentially... As Nomad Futurist Foundation, as what you're doing with the PTC Beyond program, all of those things are designed so that we can plant the seeds that then change how our industry looks and feels and acts moving forward.
2: And also there's more and more women CEOs. So that's also quite important. The young women see these women in these power positions in some way and they say, yes, it can be done. So why not me? So it's all these things will make a difference at the end.
0: All right. So now in your journey, you've done quite a bit still in telecom and there is a massive shift whereby you are principal of your own company. You're an entrepreneur, you're founder and president. How did that come about? Again, it's like shifting the planes massively. It's not like a simple career path change. It's like, okay, I'm an entrepreneur all of a sudden. How did that come about? Tell us about that journey.
2: Yes. But one problem I have is I often choose the most difficult path.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if
2: there's an easy way and a difficult way, for some reason, I'm a masochist. I like the difficult way. But that's why we got along. Yes. But joking apart, so when I, I left Teleglobe, I started doing some consulting. My ex boss then left Teleglobe and started a consulting company. And she came to see me and she said, Isabel, do you want to come and work with me? We're going to help get operators to kickstart the international business. So I said, yes. And I joined her and I worked with her for a while. But in parallel, I met this gentleman who was English, <laughs> was also from Telecom, and we had our, a long-distance relationship and for 20 years, <laughs> but you'll be happy to know I do live with him, <laughs> but for 20 years, he was in the business traveling all over the world. I was traveling as well, and I thought, well, if I continue having that job where I can't travel and I'm stuck in Montreal, I will never be able to be with him, so I decided to see What's the most flexible lifestyle I can have? So that would be to start my own business because I'm my own boss. I can decide where I work from. So 20 years ago, I was working remotely. So I was working from home or from the customers. So I started my own business. I did some consulting. The,
1: or- the original Novak is a
2: Yes. So I, I did a project to help kickstart the international carrier business because my partner was in Singapore at the time. So I found that project there while he was there. So I was able to be there, but also my mother was in Montreal. She wasn't very healthy. So I needed to be with her as well So I was kind of in between the two. So I had to be able to spend time with my partner and time with my mother. So I used to do two months wherever my partner was and two months back in Montreal to be with my mother to spend time with her. She used to live in my house. So I worked in Singapore and helped start kickstart the international business. And I was at 29, they offered me the job of international carrier relations director, which was a big job at the time for my age. And they offered me that job with a very good money. And I could have said yes. <laughs> I would have had a very difficult, different life, I think. But I thought, no, I can't because then it means I will have to be in Singapore. I can't go back to Montreal. And it, So I turned it down and that's when I officially started my business. So then it gave me the chance of being in the UK, in Montreal. So I used to do for 20 years, two months in the UK, two months in Montreal. So I would go between the two plus my travel around the world. At least I was my own boss. I decided where I was, when I was, and it gave me a lot of freedom. And of course, a lot of stress as well. Well,
0: you're still <laughs> your own boss. Nothing really yes. has changed, does it?
2: No, no, no. But at the time, I was moving everywhere. Now I'm in the UK full time. So there's a much more simple life now. I'm picturing
1: it, and I'm like, you know what? Yes. Maybe my commute from Jersey to New York today wasn't as bad as I thought.
2: Yes, you have to be a little <laughs> bit crazy to be doing what I did, but that's actually, I'm only 35, all the wrinkles there <laughs> from my complicated Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's the time lapse. <laughs> all but Life, right.
2: you do what you feel you have to do, and it's not always easy, but I did what I felt I had to do.
1: It takes a lot of bravery. I think most people, they're offered a big job. They would just take the job because how could you not take it? I mean, you really need to believe in yourself and, like, be able to follow a path that you know morally is right, even though, admittedly, it's
2: the hardest one. Yes, and um, it was very right. hard, I can tell you. Because right. that being your own boss, it's nice to be an entrepreneur and your own boss, but it comes with a lot of stress and a lot of, yeah, very stressful. People that never started their own business, I have no idea. Because I tell people that come to me, they're leaving the industry, and they say, oh, I want to become a consultant or... I, I say, come talk to me. <laughs> talk to me first. Because right. what people don't realize is you generate every dollar that comes into your bank account or your pocket from nothing. You show up to the office, you do a great deal of work, doesn't mean the money will come into your bank account. If right. you have a job at the office in a company, that will be the case. So you have to realize <laughs> that every dollar co- comes in, you created from nothing. And people don't realize that.
1: You could have two jobs. You could have like bringing young people into our industry and talking people out of <laughs> starting their own business. It'd be, yes. it'd be really, it's a strange dichotomy. Yes,
2: I agree. I think that's probably what i No, no, I think you have to be cut out for it because it comes with a lot of stress and uncertainty. So you have to be able to cope with that. Right. Um,
0: it's understanding the risks that you're willing to take. Nothing is easy. Even going to work for somebody, you're always probably on the edge. like, hey, I'm going to get fired. or well, I'm not good enough. So Yeah, it's life experiences and decisions that you've got to stick with and make accordingly as to what your personality is. Tell us your drive and your initiatives that you're engaged in as it entails to working with young entrepreneurs with the younger generation and getting that excitement for them to come into the information technology sector globally. Or young people that you've talked out of becoming entrepreneurs. (laughs)
2: I just tell them, do what you love. I mean, they want to be an entrepreneur. As long as you go in with your eyes wide open, I think that's the key. You know what you're getting yourself into. You're happy with that. Please go ahead because I did. Probably not. My eyes were not fully open when I got in into it. But I think it's partly because I lived it at Teleglobe. And it was such an amazing time in my life with other super fun and bright young people. And I saw the difference we made in the company. We turned it into a super successful company and we had so much fun. So that really kind of, it's in me. So I think the industry needs that again. So if it really wants to reinvent itself and become a cool industry again, as it used to be when I joined, because it's still cool, but people don't really know about it. We need to bring these fresh faces, these bright, young, dynamic young people in our industry to rejuvenate it and also let other young people know. Because young people out there that look at me, they say, okay, yes, she did it, but I'm not talking their language. I'm older generation. So we need young people that talk the uh, talk the same language as the other young people that are thinking of joining us. So it's all part of that picture that we need to put in place to just make sure our industry continues to grow and play the key role that it does has to play in our society going forward, and it will be more and more. So, and I love it. I mean, I PTC Beyond, we have now... 15 young people in the group working at delivering next year's program. They're so bright, and I learned so much from them, and it's inspiring.
0: I love it. If you were to summarize your life thus far and or your career, what are a couple of major takeaways?
2: I think, as I said a bit earlier, energy, it's not everything, but it's a large part. So if you have positive energy, I believe in feeling people's energy and the energy you give out. So if you have a positive energy, you will attract positive energy back and people with the same energy as you will be attracted to you. And then, because you don't want to waste time with people who have negative energy and I just want to, some people have that. It is the way it is. So I think energy is super important. And I really believe in that. And smiling and being positive. I don't always feel like smiling, but the moment you smile, you feel better. And then people smile back and they come and they are attracted to you and they have this great vibe and it it just gets you to a better place. So I think the energy is a lot and giving back is also very important because actually when you give back, you receive so much more in return. I know it sounds cliche, but it's the truth. So life is a lot about giving back and looking after others. You know, I looked after my mother for quite a long time and I'm so happy I did it. And now I, I try to look after the young people and making sure they have a place in our industry. So the positive energy, giving back. And so so when I work with my customers, I'm a consultant. If at the end of the day, I made them smile and I made a difference in their business or in their life, I've succeeded in that day. So when we have calls with my customers, it's always fun. It's always friendly, positive. And if I've given them something of information, some support that made their business better at the end of that day, I've succeeded. So I think it's all about doing something good. And at the end of the day, we'll come back to you manifold.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. And it's been so exciting to get to know you and have had the opportunity of working with you at PTC and PTC Beyond. And we continue to, I look forward to continue to expand the relationship and the strategic initiatives that all of us over here, Phil, myself and you are working towards and creating that level of excitement and demystifying technology and also opportunities for the younger generation, minorities and women combined to come into our space. Isabel, thank you for everything that you do and being an advocate and ambassador for the younger generation.
2: And thank you guys for doing these initiatives because they're so important. So without you, these types of things would not happen and let's work together in making the industry better.
1: You're the best, Isabel. Thank you.
0: This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we will all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. At Nomad Futures, we are confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.org. And thank you for listening and subscribing as well as your continued support.